0: Bafana Bafana shocked South African fans with their third-place AFCON finish earlier this month. This week we look back at the history of Bafana, unpack AFCON 2024, and look forward to the World Cup qualifiers the 2026 world cup welcome to the luke alfred show i have 30 years of experience on the front lines of sports journalism covering some of the biggest games in cricket rugby the fifa world cup and even the olympic games come and join me as we learn about some of the greatest sports stories you've never heard i'm luke alfred and welcome to the show I don't think that I'm saying anything controversial in admitting that, like a good friend from university, Bufana Bufana and I have lost touch over the last 10 or 12 years. It hasn't been an active thing on my part. I haven't turned my back on Bufana, at least I don't think I have. Rather, it's been a passive withdrawal into other things. Keeping in touch requires effort. When occasionally we did get together, I realized we were running out of things to say. The failure to take a goal when it presented itself did become a conversational sticking point, I'll admit. The silences after all those, quote, failures to qualify, all those draws and defeats, all those coaches nobody but the diehards seemed to know anything about, were getting longer and more uncomfortable. And they were getting longer and more uncomfortable for both of us. When all is said and done, what really can you say about a loss to Rwanda? Tough luck? Maybe next time? Learn from your mistakes? Is a loss to Rwanda like a loss in the family? Should you treat it in the same way? Do you bake a lasagna and pull some frozen chiabata out of the freezer, drive round, mumble your condolences and get the hell out of there as soon as it's polite to do so? Truth to tell, I can't even pinpoint an exact date when we lost touch. There was drift, certainly, which in the manner of these things, continued in its inexorable way without either party paying too much attention. Finally, Bafana and I lost each other so completely that we realized that we drifted completely apart. I've realized in losing touch that I can be as fickle and time-harried and digitally swamped by cute animal videos as the next guy. So, yes, Bafana's underperforming ways, often in places I struggle to find on a map, Khartoum, certainly, but Bujumbura in Burundi, really, have finally encouraged me to begin my long walk. It hasn't been my long walk to freedom exactly, it's just been a long walk to other things. Now that I come to think of it, I should report that Bafana's underperforming ways in places I can find on a map probably influenced my withdrawal to an even greater degree. I know where Soccer City is. I'm a fellow who knows his Moses Mabita Stadium. I can find Poliquani on the map. I've even visited Poliquani, voluntarily taking in its rich and varied splendors. This means that a dull home draw against sundry, undistinguished opponents in Poliquani probably did more to influence my withdrawal than any away loss in a place I can't find on the map. This is scandalously unpatriotic, I know, a kind of moral off-sides that is sure to have the legions of haters out there taking to social media to spread their bile. But one of the benefits of late middle age, and there aren't that many, I can tell you, other than perhaps the fleeting wisdom that manifests itself in knowing when to keep your mouth shut, is that you can finally admit to things that were once inadmissible and not feel guilty about it. Even better, you can be comfortable with that admission, which kind of adds an extra layer of pleasure to the admission in the first place. You can say, for example, that you like Dire Straits and think that their album Making Movies is one of undervalued musical accomplishment and lyrical thoughtfulness. You can say that you have a soft spot for rom-coms, or waffles, for tending and watering the garden. You can surrender to the occasional bout of sentimentality. You can talk to small animals and birds, and spend more time than is socially acceptable with your dogs. A flurry, here and there, of whimsy, as my friends never tire of telling me, is never far away. You can also say what you don't like now more strongly and confidently than ever. You don't like inconsiderate drivers or people who litter. You don't like, particularly don't like, Tom Cruise movies because Tom is a borderline psychotic let loose upon the world with a disturbingly crazy glint in his eye. Before I continue any longer, let me also draw attention to the late middle-aged perils Of drawing up lists of what you don't like, because without you even really noticing, things you don't like can creep up on you. Life can become a vessel for things you don't like, and your list can grow and grow. Before long, the list is a long one. Long lists like this one eventually lead to one inescapable conclusion. Your long lists of dislikes probably means that you don't like you. Your partner doesn't like you. You have suddenly become a misanthrope. When this happens, you have a problem. Aside from making like and dislike lists, another upside, what a horrible word upside is, I only used it to draw attention to the words compelling foulness, of late middle age is a softening of obligation. This might go hand in hand with the general flabbiness, but suddenly it's easier to say no than it once was, and shout me down please i've quietly almost inaudibly said no to bafana let me point out here that it wasn't always thus once upon a time i said yes to bafana with the fulsome goofy innocence of a 30 something it wasn't difficult to say yes they were successful and when they weren't successful they played well enough to promise that they would be successful at some not too distant point in the future Fandom is nothing but spending time on the abacus, with possibility on one side, probability on the other. As you do the math and add the baubles, all you really want to know is that things are adding up. It doesn't have to be adding up quickly, but things must be moving from left to right. I once, for example, watched Bafana play a friendly against then European champions Germany, at the Johannesburg Athletic Stadium of all places. It was late 1996 and, a couple of months before that, Germany had beaten the Czech Republic in the final of Euro 96 in England, beating England, Croatia and Russia on their way to the title. Looking back on the scores at Euro 96, it shouldn't have surprised Bafana fans that the final score in the friendly was nil all. Germany and the period Were pretty adept at nil all draws and might, in fact, have been the no score specialists of Europe. They played one out against Italy at Old Trafford in the Euro, and draws were a feature of the tournament. Two of the four quarterfinals went to penalties, and both of the semis went the same way. Defensive football aimed specifically at reaching penalties was an almost acceptable way of progressing through to the next round. Still. Had Bafana-Bafana striker Mark Williams managed to convert two half-chances in the friendly against Germany, the score might not have been nil-all after full-time. Not that nil-all mattered much to Clive Barker, the Bafana coach. When referee Dermot Gallagher blew his final whistle, Barker got up, punched the air and proceeded to run onto the pitch doing a series of jigs and happy skips. Forgive me while I interrupt a sports story to tell you about The Luke Alfred Show Patreon. As you may know, being a writer is not the most lucrative career choice. Please consider making a small donation to keep the show going at patreon.com forward slash The Luke Alfred Show. But for now, let's get back to the story. John Travolta, it was not, but you forgave Barker his moment. Never has a nil-all draw been celebrated more wholeheartedly than it was celebrated that balmy night by the dog. Draws are interesting things. They allow for a degree of rhetorical latitude. Barker, shrewd man that he was, was never going to argue that Bafana deserved to lose. He was coach of the Continental Champions after all, and his team had places to go, as did he. So, predictably, Barker chose to give the impression that he understood this one as a befiner win. I've been back to my 1996 scrapbooks, and in the match report I did after the Friday night game, he said, quote, I thought they were a bit flat at the back, and I thought they were a bit pedestrian as well. Clive was going to wring all the rhetorical mileage he could out of the draw, perhaps also taking advantage of the fact that because Germany's coach Bertie Fuchs was talking through an interpreter, some of Barker's more iffy statements fell on literally deaf ears. And just in case you're wondering if Germany, in their post Euro fatigue, sent an understrength team to South Africa, let me assure you that they didn't. They were captained by Jurgen Klinsmann, who played 108 times for his country, scoring 47 international goals. One of the sideshows of the match, I remember, was a running battle, often with studs high, between Andy Moller and Linda Mercedes Benz Budelese around the centre circle. An early exchange of recipes for glue over the festive season, it was not. But looking back, it was a forewarning that Bafana didn't score against Germany because scoring goals was to haunt them on and off like a bewitched six yard area for the next thirty or so years. It even haunted them to some degree, the 4-0 win against Namibia excepted, through the 2024 Africa Cup of Nations in the Ivory Coast, although they seemed to find a way to scrape through against Cape Verde and the Democratic Republic of Congo when it mattered most. "Seemed to find a way is the operative phrase. Many Bafana teams have been courageous, many of them have laboured under the disadvantage that the rest of Africa sees us as democratic latecomers and southern upstarts, there is some jealousy around. A jealousy sharpened by the fact that Barker's team appeared to simply rock up at the 1996 Afcon and skip off with the title after whipping it out from under the disbelieving noses of Ghana, Egypt, and the Ivory Coast. This said, they have not always found a way until now. That is Hugo Bruce. Their coach has been pragmatic in keeping the successful Mamelodi Sundown side together in different colour shirts. The players' familiarity with each other and the relationship between Ronwyn Williams and his back four has been clear for all to see. Familiarity, and its associated emotions like trust, is difficult to recognise from afar, particularly if you don't know a team very well anymore because you have drifted apart. Once divined, it is also difficult to judge its scope and dimensions. In Bafana's Cape Verde quarterfinal, however, it was quite clear that Cape Verde were the side more stressed by the continuing nil-all stalemate. This stress manifested itself in a variety of ways. There was self-evident petulance after having been taken off. There was some internal bickering, unhappiness, a strop. There was general overreach, which is the expression of unease, an expression of fragile confidence. By contrast, the South Africans were composed. Williams was the most composed of all. He only had to guess which way to dive, and he dived correctly. He seemed to temporarily mislay his ability to dive correctly in the semi final against Nigeria, often diving when the ball was kicked straight at him, but by the time of the third placed playoff, against the DRC, he had recovered his mind-reading capacity. Where he dived, the ball went. Confession time. I watched Bafana's opening game of AFCON against Mali with a kind of I'm prepared for the worst obligation. I watched and saw enough to justify that I continue carry on watching, at least for the rest of the first half, which was a victory of sorts. I was balancing dangerously on the cusp of hope, careful to make sure that my hope wasn't too recklessly unconstrained when that hope seemed to be rewarded. Ah, a penalty, with Percy Tau stepping up to take it. It was surely going to be 1-0 to Bafana within a matter of seconds. Alas, as we all know, Percy scooped his penalty over the crossbar. Vintage Bafana, I thought to myself, as hardwired into their footballing DNA as an occasional flurry of piano and shine, or the odd shibobo. I hung on until half-time and crept off to bed. When I woke the following morning and looked for the score, there was an unassailable logic, or so I felt, in Bafana losing 2-0. I now felt the welling of a strong retroactive justification for my long withdrawal. This is why we had drifted apart. We had drifted apart because... Like the Bafana goalkeeper Williams, I had looked into the future and guessed correctly. I had, so to speak, dived the right way. I had not seen Tao's penalty miss exactly, but I had divined the general shape of future disappointments. At some point in the morning after the Mali match, I suddenly remembered more about why Bafana and I had drifted apart, like once good friends from university. It all began to come back to me. Bafana had broken promises. They had arrived at big continental or international functions and proceeded to ignore me. They had sometimes failed to read the fine print on the invitations. There was always bickering. Football itself was always bickering. Some of their players were playing in Cyprus, which was considered an achievement worthy of comment in certain sections of the media. It was all too tiresome for words. The 2010 World Cup was the one thrilling exception to all of this, but otherwise they invariably reverted to form. Tasty build-up, few goals, sometimes sloppy defending against savvy European or South American opposition. i had seen the Bafana movie before, and I was not alone. Consider this, Benny McCarthy with 31 international goals, is still Bafana's top all-time scorer. He scored the last of these goals in a 2-1 friendly victory over Ghana at the Free State Stadium in October 2008. That's nearly 16 years ago. His record, and that of second placed on the all-time Bafana Bafana list, Sean Bartlett on 28 goals, shows no sign of being toppled soon. Which brings us to a discussion of Burnley's Lyle Foster, someone who does have the tasty habit of knocking in a goal now and again. The South African was apparently suffering from something in not being in Bafana's AFCON squad, although I somehow doubt that he was suffering from not being in the Ivory Coast. Coach Bruce has been quoted as saying that he's prepared to get on a plane and go and talk to the lad and I certainly hope that's being considered, because, happy as I am that Puffana looked me up and came bounding out of my past, I do still worry like a helicopter parent. I worry about their incredible politeness in front of goals, as though there was a sudden unexpected bottleneck at the hotel buffet, and five or six of them all said at about the same time, no, please, after you. Politeness and social etiquette have their place. Being polite in front of goals in an AFCON quarterfinal is not one of these places. Rather, go for the corner with a firmly struck shot that avoids defenders and gives you the greatest chance of scoring or scoring from the rebound. Rocket science, it is not. What else do I worry about? Well, I worry about the temporiness of our reconciliation. I've been burnt before so I'm keeping something in reserve. You can understand that, can't you? I'm not hurling myself into this one with chocolates and roses and pledges of lifelong love, just yet. I won't go out and buy the replica jersey just yet either, although, which replica kit would I buy? I've always liked the green, the yellow, and the green and yellow, which are the colours I associate with Bafana. Some of the kits they wore in the Ivory Coast I'm thinking of the pale grey one here made them look like a team of goalkeepers. And who wants to be a keeper when you can be a striker? In an effort to provide a balanced and fair perspective, what should I not worry about in relation to Bafana? It's probably okay not to worry too much about consistency. Bafana strike me as being pretty able in this department. Hugo and Hellman know what they're doing. Yes, Those endless penalty shootouts in the Ivory Coast age Bruce by about 10 years, so we now have an 80-something-year-old coaching the national side. He isn't pep, sure, but he seems to know how to chisel out results when he can actually get off the seat in the dugout to bellow instructions. The Continental qualifiers for the 2026 World Cup in the US are already in full swing, having played two rounds. Group C, Bafana's group, sees them currently in second place, behind Rwanda, but ahead of, in order, Nigeria, Lesotho, Zimbabwe and Benin. They are in second place because they beat Benin at home in November, although three days later they lost 2-0 away to Rwanda. June will be a testing month for Williams and his men, because the month has scheduled World Cup qualifier ties away to Nigeria, Bafana's AFCON semi-final opponents in the Ivory Coast, and at home to Zimbabwe. The next rounds take place in March 2025, when Bafana first host Lesotho before flying to Benin. Their home tie against Nigeria, which might yet be crucial, is penciled in for September next year qualification for the 2026 world cup through africa is as follows there are nine automatic qualifiers from africa with one further place up for grabs this involves the four best second place teams in their respective groups battling and out in a mini tournament to find a winner that winner will then play cross-continentally against one team from asia one team from south america one team from Oceania, and two teams from North and Central America, in another mini-tournament. These teams will be graded according to their then-Federation of International Football Associations or FIFA rankings, which, from Bafana's point of view, has been considerably improved by their performance in the Ivory Coast. They started the tournament in 66th spot in the world, and now they are up 8 places to 58th. The bottom four of these six teams will play two elimination matches, with the winners playing a further round against the two top-ranked teams. The two winners will play a final, with the winner going through to the World Cup proper. It's pretty convoluted, but not impossible to understand. How would Bafana fare if they remained in their current second spot behind Rwanda in Group C, I hear you ask? Not very well, is the answer, which is because, on three points, they have the lowest number of points and worst goal difference of all nine second-place teams in the nine World Cup qualifying groups across the continent. Above them, this is just designed to make you feel momentarily hopeless, are Botswana, Zambia, Sudan, Cape Verde, Mali, Burkina Faso, Equatorial Guinea and Gabon. That should puncture the bubble of lingering post Ivory Coast euphoria for good. Now, shouldn't it? But let's not be too mean. Bafana are back, with their wonderful second round victory over Morocco being the highlight of their tournament for many. I won't forget Evidence Mahopa's composed left footed shot against Morocco for the opening goal in a hurry. Neither will I forget to Bochum McWenna's dizzy free kick to make it 2-0. The Bafana player of the tournament for me though was Kuliso Mudao, a slightly perverse choice given that he's a defender, admittedly. I was amazed to find that he's only played 11 times for Bafana because he gave the impression that he's played five or six times as many matches. He's so deft, so quick, so comfortable on the ball. I've read the rumours so maybe he's off to Bournemouth or Burnley. I do hope that one of the things that comes from Bafana's bronze medal in the AFCON is that their players start being introduced to top English and European clubs. They are good enough. And by being there, they will become better, rather like Bafana themselves. If you enjoyed this episode of The Luke Alfred Show, please give me a five-star rating. As an independent creator... This podcast is made possible through your support.